Welcome to the Clinician Researcher Podcast, where academic clinicians learn the skills to build their own research program, whether or not they have a mentor. As clinicians, we spend a decade or more as trainees learning to take care of patients. When we finally start our careers, we want to build research programs, but then we find that our years of clinical training did not adequately prepare us to lead a research program. Through no fault of our own, we struggle to find mentors, and when we can't, we quit. However, clinicians hold the keys to the greatest research breakthroughs. For this reason, the Clinician Researcher podcast exists to give academic clinicians the tools to build their own research program, whether or not they have a mentor. Now, introducing your host, Teosi Onwemina. Welcome to the Clinician Researcher Podcast. I'm your host, Chaisi Unwemina, and it is a pleasure to be talking with you today. I'm especially excited because I have a special guest today, Dr. Teresa Coles. Teresa, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So, Teresa, how, how would you introduce yourself to the audience, especially with regard to your role as an academic faculty member? Sure. So, I am an assistant professor, and I am very interested in measuring health. How can we better measure health? particularly quality of life. So Teresa, I I first met you, I feel like about a year and a half ago. And at the time we met because I was interested in health measurement, specifically patient reported outcome measures. And I would like you to just talk about how different our perspectives were in terms of what I was thinking of as a clinician with regard to patient reported outcome measures and how you think about it as, as the expert. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, let's see what I can remember. So I think one of the first things we discussed at the very beginning was what outcomes do we think might be important to patients? And there's so many different quality of life outcomes that might be of interest to patients, but actually we don't really know. So I think that was one of our very first conversations is which outcome should we focus on and why? We could go about measuring all types. We can measure like 90 different types of quality of life outcomes, but that would be a lot to ask patients to do. So we try to focus in on what are the most important ones for them. So, Sure. So one of the things that I thought about was using something like the SF36, for example, in my population. And and, and you talked about the need to have validity evidence to be able to use it in my specific population. And I was thinking, validity, what? So I want you to speak about that. Speak about, you know, the fact that there are all these, I mean, they're validated or they have validity evidence, but they may not have it in my in the disease in which I'm interested in. How should clinicians be thinking about these tools as they're trying to use them in their research? Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. So here's the situation. There are a lot of questionnaires, patient-reported outcome measures, clinical outcomes assessments out there. And just because they exist, or even if they've been used in various populations successfully, that doesn't mean that they are they have enough validity evidence for every single use case. So for example, we might have a patient-reported outcome measure or questionnaire that is working really well for folks who are 65 and older with some sort of physical functioning issues, okay? 
we may not be able to take that same exact questionnaire and apply it to adolescents. And the reason for that is because these individuals will have different types of, let's say, physical functioning impairments or issues. And if we're asking questions that are not relevant to that patient, then we end up with biases and we will not be actually measuring the right things. And then we miss an opportunity to intervene and help folks with their quality of life. That's a, that's a really great, great point. Now I recognize it because we've worked together and, and, and you've, you've taught me a lot. <laughs> but what I do see is a lot of people like, for example, the SF36 may be one of the more widely used ones. Why would it be a problem to just take it and apply it to your population, if, especially because it's just so widely used? Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with SF36. I like the SF36. The, the strength of the SF36 is also its limitation. So the SF36 is very broad. It's used to look at general quality of life. That's great if you want to detect general quality of life. If you want to look at specific quality of life impacts based on a particular treatment or particular condition, that something like the SF36 may not be able to detect those changes or the very specific issues that, that patients experience. So one example we use a lot in the class that Christy Ziegler and I teach is fatigue, for example. Somebody might say that they're fatigued. Okay, well, there's a thousand different measures we can use to evaluate fatigue, but are we looking at physical fatigue? Are we looking at emotional fatigue, mental fatigue? Unless we actually know what those experiences are, we can't measure them effectively. So SS36 is great at measuring those broad experiences, but it, it also is so broad, it may not be able to detect the specific experiences we're looking for. So both its kind of strength and its weakness. Okay. Okay, Teresa, it sounds pretty complicated. So why would, uh, why should a clinician researcher think about working with an expert like you if they're trying to use patient reported outcome measures in their projects? So there are some best practices and how do I say this? You're going to have to cut this out. <laughs> why would you want to work with somebody like myself? Because <laughs> you're awesome. Well, one of the reasons is because folks like myself who are trained in health measurement know the methodologies, which include both qualitative and quantitative psychometric methodologies, to ensure we're measuring what it is that we actually want to measure. If we do not approach measurement with this type of rigor, we risk bias in how we measure. So we may, we may do, we may have great sample sizes to, and we're measuring something, but we don't actually really know what that is. We also risk the potential of missing information. So we may not be able to detect changes based on treatment or changes based on a condition that we need to intervene on. That's, that's, thank you. Thank you for, for highlighting what's important or why it's important. I mean, because honestly, before we started working together, I really just thought, you know, you take a measure and there's no reason why you couldn't use it. But really, there's a whole science behind it. And you are clearly a measurement expert and you've been doing this for a long time. And so one of the things you highlight is just the need for collaboration. So I'm really excited to talk about collaboration. So I want to say, Teresa, that it's been an amazing opportunity for me to work with you as, as, a, as a fellow researcher, as we've submitted some, pro some projects. And, and one of the things I, I thought it was really just important to highlight 
is why why should clinicians and and PhD trained researchers work together? Oh my gosh, the reasons are endless. So I think I'll, I'll start with like a personal example for somebody like that myself that's trained in methodology specifically. We're great at coming up with methods, but we are not great at knowing what the clinical problems are. <laughs> so where, where are the opportunities to actually use those methods and, and make a difference? So we often have what we call hammers, right? So like we might want to use the same hammers of methodologies across many studies. That's fine. But really, at the end of the day, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that we're pushing science forward clinically and we're, we're causing improvement in quality of life and survival for patients. So in order for us to like meet the needs of that issue, we have to collaborate with clinicians who know what the issues are. Not only that, but the clinicians kind of throughout a project, like for example, when I collaborate with clinicians on a project, they keep it centered on the clinical issues and the clinical relevance of what it is that we're doing. So what are some patient experiences? What are clinical experiences? The clinicians also have direct contact with patients. So how might we recruit patients? They also have knowledge of what do the results actually mean, right? So we, you know, like from a methodological standpoint, we have a certain perspective on what these results might mean and we can provide percentages and tell you about IRT loadings. Like we can tell you all sorts of things, but at the end of the day, what does it mean? How do we interpret those results? And I think that's extremely important to work with clinicians on. Absolutely. You know, one, one thing you said reminded me of, a, of, a, of something that's come up before is the difference between developing a, va a measure with de developing validity evidence for a measure for clinical use versus for like a clinical trial. Can you just speak to that difference? Sure. So there's a lot of common methodologies we would use for measures that we might use in clinical care versus clinical trials. It's all about the use case. So in clinical trials, typically we would use, let's say, a patient-reported outcome measure to look at some sort of quality of life outcome over time and answer the question whether the treatment is making a difference, improving or worsening whatever that outcome is, or maybe not doing either of those. Maybe that outcome is just stable. That's like the primary use case in clinical trials. And that could be a primary endpoint, secondary endpoint, exploratory endpoint. Another use case in clinical trials is screening. You can use a patient-reported outcome measure to screen individuals for participation in the trial. So like inclusion and exclusion criteria. How we set up the PRO measure and provide the validity evidence for those two different use cases requires two different types of methodologies. So that's just even within clinical trials. And then we look at clinical care, there's lots of different ways we can use patient-reported outcome measures. One is, similar to clinical trials, we can track patients' outcomes over time. One additional thing we might do in clinical care is not only continually track those outcomes over time, but identify specific instances for specific patients when they've either decreased or increased on an outcome in an unacceptable way, where we know some sort of intervention needs to take place. That is a really important clinical care application and requires particular methods. Same thing 
So like we, most of us are familiar with something like the PHQ-9, which is a depression screener. That is something that we use in clinical care and the methodologies behind something like the PHQ-9 are unique to screeners. So do you want me to talk about the different methodologies or shall Would I you stop please? there? No, I, I'm, I'm learning a lot. I'm, and I do feel it's important because, I mean, it's, it's nuanced. So I think it's, it's helpful to know. Sure. So I wish I had my slide so I could show everybody. <laughs> so for clinical trials, anytime we're looking at outcomes over time, we are interested in lots of different types of evidence. That evidence is based on what is the use case. So if we're looking at something over time, we first need to ensure that we're measuring what we think we're measuring. That's a type of validity. We need to look at how we might score that measure and what would the scores actually mean. That gets into methodologies for understanding the, what we call the dimensionality of that measure. So how many scores might there be coming out of that measure? Like, for example, the SF36 has multiple different types of scores for different dimensions of quality of life. Another thing we need to look at if we're looking at scores over time is reliability. So can we be sure that if somebody is, let's say, rated a 33 on day one and they have no change in their quality of life by day seven, are they still going to be a 33 or somewhere close to that? That is ensuring that type of reliability. It's called test-retest reliability. Another important aspect if we're measuring quality of life over time is being able to detect change. So if, just like with a thermometer, if I get a fever, that thermometer, we hope, is going to detect that fever, right? If it doesn't, we have problems. Same thing with quality of life measures. If we see an improvement or a worsening in quality of life, we use methodologies to be able to ensure that we can detect that change. Finally, all of this kind of filters into the final issue, which is how do we interpret those scores? So at the end of the day, all the methodology that we're using is all based in supporting the interpretation of those scores from the measure. We cannot interpret or we can't do a great job of interpreting scores if we don't have evidence to prove that they're reliable mm. or we don't have evidence to show that we're able to detect change over time or if we don't have evidence to show what is the dimensionality of our measure, what is it that we're actually measuring. So that's just one example in clinical trials. Those are typical things that we'll look for. That's really excellent. Thank you for summarizing that. It was really, really well summarized. And clearly, <laughs> you've been doing this a long time. So for a clinician like me who says, okay, I want to do, I want to work with a health measurement expert like you, what kinds of questions should I be asking and what, what kinds of things would you want to know to, to help decide if this collaboration makes sense? Oh, great question. So I think the key piece about working with folks who are health measurement focused is one, learning what their interests are. Some of us, for example, specialize in different types of populations. So I typically work in studies that focus on adults. Some of my colleagues fo focus on pediatric patients. Those are slightly different methodologies that we might use to address these different, these different populations and how we might ask questions about quality of life 
for a three-year-old versus an 18-year-old versus a 45-year-old. Another piece is some of us have a lot of experience in certain conditions or diseases. So for example, at UNC, there are a number of people who are really focused in cancer and have lots of expertise on measuring quality of life specifically in cancer populations. Some of us are more generalists. So it's like, what is our background and where are we coming from? And then how can we contribute to the study? So another piece is, I would say in most studies where we're doing prospective data collection, there's some sort of measurement component. And a collaboration with a measurement colleague may be really small or that person is just kind of like providing advice. <laughs> and they may not even actually be on your study. They just may be behind the scenes giving you some ideas. And then like all the way up to something like a co-PI, which is what you and I have done before. So as a co-PI, those would be very measurement specific studies where we are trying to optimize measurement of some sort of quality of life outcome. I also think like another question that clinicians might want to bring to the table with potential health measurement colleagues is what level of involvement do they like to have? So and that helps to kind of like focus in on, I think, the, the size of the study that you can pull off. <laughs> And what types of studies you can move forward. And a third thing that I would recommend is if that health measurement researcher is not the right person, then who else might be? Because we're so connected. There's so many connections among all of us. And we have a good sense, like a telephone book in our heads of, you know, like who, who's an expert in X, Y, or Z. And then we can connect you with the, the right health measurement person. That's good. That's good. Thank you for sharing that. I wonder from your perspective in working with clinicians, what are some concerns that you have? I think at the get-go, sometimes clinicians don't, don't have a sense for kind of like the best practices for health measurement. So unfortunately, sometimes a lot of our fundamental work to get a study up and running measurement-wise takes a lot of time. So there's like formative qualitative work or formative literature reviews that need to happen. And that just sucks out a lot of time where somebody where clinicians feel like they could just move forward really quickly, right? And just throw some patient reported outcome measures or COAs into a trial or, you know, in clinical care. People do that all the time, I think. And sometimes it's fine because that measure has already has validity evidence. But a lot of times... Well, I'm not going to say a lot of times. Sometimes it's not okay. So, <laughs> so I don't even remember what the question was anymore. Well, I'm glad to. Just concerns that you have about working with clinicians. Well, I love working with clinicians. I absolutely love working with them because they keep me focused on what are the actual issues, right? I can go down my like circles and caves of measurement ideas and math and qualitative inquiry, but at the end of the day, like, is that really going to make a difference, right? So I feel like the clinicians help keep me centered on what are the actual clinical issues that are going to move us forward in terms of outcomes of research. So like, how are we going to improve patients' quality of life? I like that. So it's almost like, you know, what you're really speaking to is the fact that you're a partner in the work and 
you know, earlier you started talking about the speed to move forward because there's a sense that starting the project and administering the outcomes is the most, administering the, the PRO measures is the most important thing. But really there is an, a need for clinicians to understand that there's a lot of foundational work that may not feel like active work, but is really important so that when they're moving forward with the big clinical trial, it's valid. And, and that the questions that they're asking, the answers they're getting are actually answers to the questions they want. They want. Yeah, absolutely. That like formative work underpin is like underpinning rigor that will pay off dividends <laughs> when you want to use those data over and over again or continue to expand your project or your research program. Okay, so it's well, it's worth doing it well, especially the first time you're you're trying to get evidence for a measure. I love it. Okay, so Teresa, one of the things that I think we come up against is that this kind of work when it comes to PRO measures is not necessarily, I think, as well funded as perhaps if we came in just proposing a clinical trial doing some other things. So I'm curious to know what kind of funding opportunities may exist a clinician researcher should be thinking about for this kind of work. Great question. So Here's the deal. Here's what I have learned slowly over time. Primarily in like schools of public health or population health or schools of medicine, what we find is that there's an emphasis on getting funded through NIH. And that is fantastic. The, the deal with NIH is that they're typically looking for studies that improve patient outcomes. So that could include quality of life outcomes, right? A lot of times methodological work is not actually improving the outcome. It's helping us better assess whatever that quality of life outcome is. So for, for studies like what I do, NIH, sometime, sometimes we can get funded by NIH depending upon like what is the focus of that RFA, but it's often not our biggest funder. Other funders are include a myriad of options. And I, I feel like there's more that I haven't even discovered yet, but one is FDA. So FDA is very interested in methodological rigor for the use in clinical trials so that we're evaluating um, patient reported outcomes that are meaningful to the patient and with rigor. So FDA has what they call the broad agency announcement that comes out in the fall of every year. And that is a big honking proposal. <laughs> so there's two stages to that. There is like a 10 pager, sort of like a LOI, like a letter of intent. And then there's like a 50 pager if you get invited to do the full thing. And that's just volume one. Cause there's also <laughs> volume two. <laughs> However, the VAAs, and I've had a few of them, are a really great way to focus in on methodological issues. And FDA loves it because they want to support rigor in clinical trials for, for outcomes measurement. They're very supportive of that. Another opportunity with FDA for some institutions is the FDA CIRCE. So some institutions, including Duke, UNC, NC State, we're in, we're in a CIRCE, and there's other CIRCEs with like, I think Yale has one, Mayo has one. These are opportunities to work directly with FDA 
and address kind of like smaller research opportunities. Usually, I would say between 250,000 to 750,000 ish in size, but they are more frequently coming through and really great opportunities. Oh, you'll have to tell us what is CIRCE? What does that stand for? Centers of Excellence in Regulatory Science and Innovation, CIRCE. Okay. So that's okay. University of Maryland, Johns Hopkins, Yale, Mayo. University of California, San Francisco, and Stanford. So if any of your listeners are in those institutions, and Duke and UNC and NC State, then you're covered by a CERCI. Yeah, so there's a few of us. Okay, okay. Okay, so FDA is a potential funder and, yes. and thinking about this Cer these CERCI opportunities, if your institution is connected to that, what other mm -hmm. opportunities? Another opportunity is PCORI. So PCORI focuses on comparative effectiveness research. So if you are doing a like kind of a study that might be comparing different interventions and looking at those outcomes, that might be a good fit for you. There's also, we've looked at the engagement awards together. Actually, one of the things that I did not mention before that's really important to methodologies for health measurement is inclusion of patients and other stakeholders in what you're doing. So a lot of times we have stakeholder panels to kind of guide our measurement approaches. And PCORI is really um, a great funder for, for those types of opportunities. Other funders include industry. So I'm actually working with David Leverins from Duke. He's funded by Pfizer and I'm supporting him on a project where we're developing a sh super short questionnaire um, for use in clinical care. Sometimes there's ARC. AHRQ. Typically, those are very health services related. So if you have a health services project, let's say you are going to improve resource utilization using your patient reported outcome measure, ARC might be a, a, a great fit. That's cool. Thanks, Teresa. So NIH that we all know, um, but also looking at FDA Again, PCORI, and then industry as well, and ARC. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Oh, my goodness. That's so funny. When you started out, you were like, oh, there's lots of options. I'm like, what? There are lots of options? But it's good. It's good to know because you're right. I think as clinician researchers, we're really focused on NIH and, and really thinking about who, which funder really aligns with what you're looking, what you're looking at. And, and it sounds like, like clinician and researchers should, should think about these other potential opportunities. That is great. Okay. So, hmm, I'm wondering what question should, should I ask you as someone who's a measurement expert and I'm a clinician researcher, what question should I be asking you that I might not think to ask you? Oh, let's see. Are you thinking about for like grant submission, study design, what you might, what might be happening in clinical care? I think all of the above, because I'm, what I'm hearing you say is that you, your work is relevant, not just for research, but even in clinical care as well. And so maybe we should ask the question two ways. Maybe the first question is, as a clinician, what should I be thinking about? And what, what, what questions should I ask my health measurement person who's at my institution that may be relevant to me in the clinical space? Oh, yeah. So in the clinical space... One like 
really great kind of low-hanging fruit is to work with health measurement experts to look at questionnaires you might already be administering in clinical care. Are they actually up to the task of doing whatever it is that you want them to do, mm -hmm. right? A health measurement expert would allow you, will give you the support to be able to look at the evidence that's there for those measures and also how you can use those scores to kind of support decision-making within clinical care. Another opportunity or question that you could work with health measurement folks on is what questionnaires might I want to administer in clinical care? <laughs> and then I can guarantee you that the health measurement person is going to ask you, well, how would you want to use the scores? Mm. Okay. So there are a lot of really great opportunities to incorporate screeners in clinical care to identify patients that really need help at that time. Right. So if there is, if there's, for example, a symptom that you need to know more about, maybe it's pain, maybe it's itch, we can either implement or identify questionnaires that might help you be able to do that quickly. And then a third question that's a little bit more broader is, you know, tell us about your research program and then where might health measurement kind of support and help the rigor of what it is that you're trying to do? I love it. You know, the first one of the thoughts that came to my mind is, you know, our patients are sitting in the waiting room an awful long time. And so could there be a measure that's actually relevant and valid for that particular question that the clinician has? they could fill out in the waiting room that actually contributes to the information the clinician needs to help further their care. Yeah, that is literally the best time to get patients. <laughs> We've seen it anecdotally and there's also like evidence about that that's published. <laughs> Great. Okay. Okay. How about, how about research? What questions? I mean, I, I think we touched on a lot of them earlier, but what question is on asked that we should, we should definitely make sure people are considering? Well, I'll tell you what's asked that I would like for people to potentially consider modifying. So people, people might come to us and say, what questionnaire should I include in my research program? And it's, that's not really the question to be asking. The question is, how can I measure this thing that I want to measure? Because it's not so much about, it is about the questionnaire, but more importantly, it's about what it is that you're trying to measure. So one thing that I would like to communicate is that it's like, I don't have a Rolodex of questionnaires on my desk where I can say, oh yeah, you know, here's the 50 measures on fatigue and let's choose one of them. There's, there's a lot of work <laughs> that goes into choosing the most appropriate measure for any given circumstance. A lot of that is just background literature review, reading what evidence is there, what work has already been done, and then what we also what we know about our population of interest, and then how that matches to what the questionnaire is actually evaluating. That is so, so awesome. And to be <laughs> honest, I start laugh I started laughing because I was like, yeah, that's what I thought. I thought I, you just you know all the questionnaires that are out there. <laughs> I do. I think that's a common, I think that's a common misperception, you know, misperception because it's, I think some people think that we're kind of like librarians of instruments and we're not. 
Well, thank you. Thank you for clarifying that you're not. Okay. So what I should do is ask the question is be clear about what I want to measure. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's use fatigue as an example. Okay. If I say I want to measure fatigue, is that fatigue, is that enough? So here's some of the questions that I will ask you. If you tell me you want to measure fatigue, I will ask you, well, what is it that you need to know about fatigue? What is the purpose of measuring? Right? Is this a clinical care application? Is this clinical trials, clinical research? How often do you want to measure fatigue? How do you want to use those scores to make decisions? I think that's like that final question is like zing. That's what really gets us the answer. So that that helps us really define and zone in to be able to get you the measure that is going to be most useful. Sure, sure. So I'm hearing that. So you want to, you know, you want to understand the concept you want to measure. So for example, fatigue, but you also want to be clear about why you want to measure it, what you're going to do once you find the fatigue and, and how you're going to respond to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is very nuanced. Okay. Everybody who's listening, if you are trying to use a patient reported outcome measure in your study, you got to get with an expert <laughs> and they all have this amazing network. So if you find one, they can find you the right person. Okay. I think there's one more thing I want to ask because I, I feel like this is something that I learned from you too, is so when I think about patient reported outcome measures, I just think of them as just, oh, it's patient reported outcome measures and they're so important. But really there's a bigger context of clinical outcome assessments under which patient reported outcome measures are a, a subset. So can you just speak to the broader perspective of clinical outcomes assessment and how maybe patient reported outcome measures may not be what we want to use? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think patient reported outcome measures are typically the most often discussed type of clinical outcome assessment, but there are so many more. So actually on FDA's website, there's a really nice like set of definitions for each of these assessments, but I'll give you an overview. So when we think about clinical outcomes assessments, these are ways that we can measure patient outcomes, okay? So there's four primary ways we can do it. And for some quality of life outcomes, we can use all four of these ways. So let me go through each one of those and then we'll talk about it more. So one that we've already discussed is patient reported outcome measures or PROMs. Another one is observer reported outcome measures. So that is where we, or OBSRO. So that is where an observer tells us about a patient's signs. So what can they observe about how a patient is functioning? For example, another type of clinical outcome assessments that I'm sure a lot of the clinicians here are used to are ClinRose. So clin clinician outcomes assessment. So that's a clinician reported measure. And there are a number of those in clinical care. So for those in cancer, like the ECOG, for example, is a clinician reported outcome measure. Finally, there's performance measures or PERFOs. So those are opportunities to essentially test patients on their functioning. So like the six-minute walk test or stand up and go, those are examples of PERFOs. All four of those types of clinical outcomes assessments can be used to evaluate patient health status. Hmm. And they can be used as primary, secondary, exploratory outcome measures in clinical trials or even, you know, obviously for use in clinical care as well. We use these all in clinical care all the time. The choice of which one of those to use depends upon what it is that you're measuring and why you're measuring it. How are you going to use those scores? Hmm. That's really good. That's really good. 
Okay. All right. So we are at the end of the show. And the last question on my mind, which to some extent you've answered, but so if there's a clinician researcher out there who's now like, whoa, I had no idea. <laughs> Where should they start first? <laughs> As they investigate using patient-reported outcome measures or other clinical outcome assessments in their projects. Wow. So I think the first thing that I would recommend for that clinician to do is get clear on what are the outcomes that you think would be important to measure and why. The next thing that I would do is contact somebody who works in health outcomes. Sometimes that's fellow clinicians. There's a lot of fantastic clinician researchers out there who are doing work specifically in clinical outcomes assessments. Sometimes it's a clinician. Sometimes it's PhD trained researcher like myself. At Duke, for example, we have the Center for Health Measurement. All of us that are in the center are interested in measuring health and trying to improve the accuracy of how we do it. Um, so you can look for somebody who has a background in psychometrics, for example, somebody with health measurement or questionnaire design background. You, The ideal situation is that person either has both qualitative experience and psychometric experience or has one or the other and then knows somebody else who who does the other one and just have like informal conversations with these folks like when I first came to Duke one of my collaborators that I'm now working with now the whole way we started collaborating with each other was just random conversations that's how we started we were thinking oh you know there's an important aspect of hearing healthcare that we're not tapping into in clinical care, let's measure that. That's mm -hmm. Sherry Smith. And then, you know, it started this whole series of ideas that we've had for how to improve measurements in hearing healthcare. That is so awesome. Teresa, thank you so much. That's been gold. I've learned new things and I feel like you've been <laughs> teaching me a lot already. So that, that was really awesome. Thank you for being on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, everyone, you've heard Teresa. There is a lot to think about when it comes to measuring health. And as you're, you know, designing your clinical studies, you want to make sure that what you're measuring with whatever outcome measure you're using is actually what you want to measure. And there is no better person to talk to about it than actually a head health measurement expert, a health measurement expert. So definitely reach out to someone at your institution and look for ways to collaborate because collaborations with these experts is awesome. Okay. It has been a pleasure to talk with you today. I look forward to talking with you again the next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Clinician Researcher Podcast, where academic clinicians learn the skills to build their own research program, whether or not they have a mentor. If you found the information in this episode to be helpful, don't keep it all to yourself. Someone else needs to hear it. So take a minute right now and share it. As you share this episode, you become part of our mission to help launch a new generation of clinician researchers who make transformative discoveries that change the way we do healthcare.